the better that we understand ourselves and the better of a relationship that we have with ourselves, the more able we are going to be to engage in healthy relationships and healthy activities and fulfilling activities in the outside world. Hey everyone, Emily Abadi here. You are listening to another installment of Hurdle Moment from Hurdle. I am just going to address this right off the bat. My voice, (laughs) it's been in better shape before. It's here. It's just, it's a little struggle city from a little extra socializing. I went down to Miami with my run club and being out and around people for the first time in a long time, clearly spending a year plus at home alone. Uh, I need to ease back into society, I think. This also reminds me of, I recorded with Ruth Zuckerman. She was one of the co-founders of Flywheel. And I was set to record with her, I believe it was a day after my final class as a spin instructor. This is a few years ago now. And when I left that class, which was super emotional and just super special, within like an hour, my voice was just gone. And I was frightened because I was so, so excited to record with Ruth. (laughs) And I uh, crowdsourced my Instagram followers for their best tips and tricks, which included elderberry gummies and sitting in a shower and chugging water and avoiding anything that could be dehydrating like alcohols or caffeine. And I didn't speak from, I want to say, noon one day through probably noon the following day, right before I was going to sit down with Ruth. And I spoke and we were fine, (laughs) but it was super stressful. So I always think about that when my voice is in this current state. Anyway, let's talk about Hurdle Moment. Let's talk about what we're getting into here today. Today on the show, I am going to be chatting with Dr. Amanda Falk. She is the Chief of Clinical Services at The Dorm, which is a treatment community for young adults ages 18 to 35. They've got virtual treatment options as well as physical locations in both New York and Washington, D.C. We are going to be chatting about exactly what to look for when searching for a therapist. I know there are so many different options out there. We address what those are. We talk about what some of the letters at the end of someone's name might mean, how there are different types of therapy and how to figure out which one might be the right one for you. We talk about cost. I mean, we really cover it all. I've had some really special and interesting conversations on the show before about therapy and what it's been like for me and opening up about that. But I don't think I've ever dove into the nitty gritty like this with someone to really help someone who may have never gone to therapy before or someone who has done it and isn't exactly sure what other options may be out there differing from what they've already tested out. So I'm here. I'm here to help you out. I'm here to give you the rundown and I'm here to give you the resources that you need to seek out help and take care of your mental health because it is just so, so important. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to it. Let's get to hurdling. Hurdling. 
Today, I am chatting with Amanda Fall because she is a licensed clinical social worker. She's also chief of clinical services at the dorm. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so excited that we're sitting down because I've been having a lot of really awesome conversations about mental health, the importance of mental health, how helpful it can be to work with a therapist. But the questions that come in are surrounding this topic that we're going to be talking about today, which is what to look for when seeking mental health treatment. So before we dive into the particulars, Mm -hmm. I always love to know a little bit about the backstory of who I am sitting down with. So talk to me about how you got into this position with the dorm. What is it that made you interested in making this kind of work your work? You know, my story, I think, is similar to a lot of different helping professionals or mental health professionals. We get into the field because we want to help, because we enjoy helping others. And typically, we enjoy helping others because maybe we've experienced some stuff in our histories where we have needed help and there have been significant people in our lives who have helped and inspired us. Or maybe we've had a family member who's needed help and through that process have been inspired to help others. For myself, you know, growing up, being an adolescent is is hard and transitioning into young adulthood is hard. And I'm so grateful for the resources and the help that I had during that time period to navigate the roller coasters and the ups and downs. And that inspired me to work specifically with this age group of teenagers, of young adults, because I think it's only getting harder to be a young person these days. And it's important that they have safe, empathic, compassionate, understanding, helping professionals in their lives to to get through the hard times. So for you, when you say that you were really grateful for the resources you had, what options did you dive into when you were growing up? Mm-hmm. Having people outside of your family system to talk to, so trusted adults, having people outside of your friend groups, just objective outside opinions and people to freely talk to was was so important. You have You didn't have to censor yourself. You didn't have to or I didn't have to center myself. I didn't have to worry about what I said, if it would hurt somebody's feelings. So having those individual therapists available, I think is, is important. Therapy isn't just for people who are in crisis. Therapy can be used to just help you learn more about yourself and to grow as a human being. And I think that we need to, as a society, get away from thinking about therapy as something that you only do if you're in intense crisis. Yes, of course, when you're in crisis, doing therapy is is vital to your well-being, but you don't have to be in crisis to just want to talk to somebody and to, to learn more about yourself and to evolve as a human being. Definitely not. So when you were younger, you sought out in person therapy. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we didn't have the world of Zoom and all of that back then. So that was the only option. And reflecting on your process, do you remember 
meeting with a therapist for the first time and thinking, oh, this is definitely the person that I want to sit down with? Do you remember it being awkward or good? What was that like for you? No, I, I actually remember it being incredibly awkward and, and not liking it <laughs> at all. And I think that that's why it's so important to realize that the relationship that somebody has with a therapist is like any relationship in your life. Some relationships work and it's a good fit and some relationships don't work and it's not a good fit. And the first time I sat down with a therapist, it did not feel like a good fit. And it was not that therapist's fault. It was just the way that we were together as a dyad. And it, it took a couple of tries of meeting different people before I found the person that was right for, for me. And, and that I think is a very common experience that people have. And it's important not to get frustrated in the process and know that finding the right fit is, is a process. Here we are today to talk about what to look for when seeking mental health treatment. Where does one even begin? Because someone says, well, you should speak with a therapist. And it's like, okay, but what do I need to look for? What letters should be next to their name? What's good? What's bad? So where do we even begin? And there are so many options right now. And I think it makes it even more overwhelming. In some ways, 10, 15 years ago, when there was less options and less, less technology, it, it probably was in some ways easier, I think. So there's a couple of different things. Of course, it is important that whoever that you're speaking to, just like if you were going to a doctor, you want to make sure that they have the proper training. That said, there's lots of different modalities that therapists are trained in. And one modality might be really, really great for person A and might feel very invasive or ineffective for person B. So I think it's important for people to educate themselves about the different types of therapists, uh, all the different letters behind names and what they mean, and then start thinking about what they think what that individual thinks might be the right fit for them. For example, if you want somebody who is going to be much more directive and more like an active coach in the process and really give you a lot of feedback, you might want to work with a therapist who's trained in some of the behavioral therapies like CBT or DBT. If you want somebody who is going to engage in more of talk therapy and maybe they're going to be doing a little bit more listening than talking themselves, you might want to look for somebody who's analytically trained, who's a psychotherapist. So these are the different things that I think people can, a quick Google search can, can help people to understand the different types of therapies and what the different letters behind people's names really mean in layman's terms. Yeah. And there's just so much to navigate in that regard. So for someone who is looking at to find a therapist, aside from a Googling and checking into what their specialties may be, what's the, uh, I don't know if classic is the right word, but what's the traditional amount of schooling that someone should expect their therapist to have under their belt? So you need to be licensed to be a therapist. Uh, so that means that you either have had to have gone through a master's program, if you're a social worker or a mental health practitioner or a marriage and family therapist. If you're a psychologist, you are doing a PhD program in order to get a license. And if you are a psychiatrist, 
meaning a medical doctor, somebody who prescribes medication. A psychologist cannot prescribe medication. A licensed clinical social worker cannot. Then you need to go through med school. So yeah, it's it's complicated. The other thing that I think overly complicates this is insurance because insurance companies might pay for one type of therapist, but not another type of therapist. So calling that number on the back of your insurance card and asking for a list of providers who are in network, if you need to see somebody in network, if you don't want to pay money out of pocket, it, it gives you also a good starting point for who they will cover. And that's also just such, I'm like sitting here shaking my head, which doesn't help someone who's listening to this, but it's so frustrating to think about the importance of mental health and mental health care and know, uh, especially firsthand for me at least, that money can be such a barrier to entry for so many and that many insurance companies and policies don't even offer coverage for this type of personal care and important care, you know? It's, it's criminal mental health needs are just as important as physical health needs. And until we can begin to look at mental illness in the same way that we look at physical illnesses and diseases, there's going to be a lot of people who are suffering in this world unnecessarily. And I think it's something that a lot of people in the mental health field are advocating for. There's pending litigations against various different uh, insurance companies about their lack of coverage for people who, who truly, I mean, they, they need this, this mental health treatment. It is for many life and death. Someone decides they want to go see a therapist. They have done the work and they know what type of therapist that they think they want to see or get to know. What happens next? Where would you suggest someone to go online to even seek out a professional to start working with? Or is it maybe not online where they should start? I think we need to use all available resources just to get names and numbers and information like I said, I think calling the insurance company and finding out you know, who's in network is an important step to take, especially if finances are something that if somebody needs that coverage to be in network. Also going on to different websites like Psychology Today and looking up by zip code a list of providers, uh, if they're in network with your insurance, they have bios that you can read about them as well. There's also different places online that you can look to. You know, social media is such a blessing and a curse. The positive sides of social media is that there are resources on there that you can join different groups um, and get recommendations from people about therapists in, in your neighborhood or in your community that have been, you know, come highly recommended. And then personal networks. Word of mouth recommendations are really wonderful. And if you have friends uh, or family members who talk openly about their struggles with mental health or their therapeutic experiences, and you feel comfortable trusting them with the fact that you want to be engaging in a therapeutic relationship, reaching out to those people, they can supply sometimes some of the best recommendations. And that's how I first found the first therapist that I ever worked with was putting out feelers to a bunch of women that I trusted and respected. And I felt at least this way that I knew someone I 
was friendly with had had a positive experience with this mm-hmm. person. And it made me feel a little bit more comfortable to get into something that maybe otherwise wouldn't have felt necessarily mm-hmm. the most comfortable. Not that, I mean, to your point earlier, talking about your first experience with therapy, like I think no matter how you slice or dice it, it would be a little abnormal if you walked into that room and you were like, man, this is the most, this is the best I've ever felt like right off the bat. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Also too, though, what's, what's great about if you feel comfortable asking friends or family members, even if you don't want to see the therapist that your friend is seeing, because you feel like that would be a little weird and uncomfortable, you could still call that therapist and say, who would you recommend for me to see? Because they might have good recommendations because oftentimes, um, and we do this all the time, if, if we feel like a client isn't the right fit or if there's a conflict of interest, maybe we're treating a family member, or maybe I'm treating a friend, I'll say, you know, this probably isn't right for me to take on, but call these five people, they're amazing. And that's a way to then get referrals to, to people who are potentially a good fit for you. So for someone who then goes into their first therapy session, talk to me a little bit about what they can expect there. You know, I think it's going to be a little bit different depending on on the therapist that, that you're seeing. Some therapists, you walk into their offices and it, it feels comfortable and almost like a living room setting with couches and coffee tables and very peaceful and zen. Uh, or you might be walking into more of you know, an office space type setting, which feels a little bit more even like you would if you were walking into a medical appointment, um, more like an institution versus a private office. So in terms of the surroundings and what they physically feel like, that can vary very much therapist to therapist. I think the common denominator between therapists is that I haven't met a therapist to date who doesn't genuinely want somebody to feel comfortable or to try to make them feel as comfortable as is possible on that first encounter. Uh, I think it's important to remember, though, that it is a first encounter. So anything that you do for the first time, like you were saying, feels weird, whether that's going to your first day at school, entering a new grade, whether that's starting college and your first day at college, whether that's taking a new exercise class at your gym and walking into a studio where you've never done that exercise class before. First times are always uncomfortable. So we can expect and somebody should expect for that to be there and that that's okay and that that's normal. And I think when we normalize that and we're prepared for that feeling, it's less overwhelming. Taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about my sponsor at Tracksmith. Tracksmith is a Boston-based performance running brand that is dedicated to the community, style, and culture of running. And their gear really does make me feel my best. Let's be honest, when you feel good, you move well, and hey, science even co-signs this. Because of their dedication to community, Tracksmith has offered to donate 5% of every purchase using the code HURDLE to Girls on the Run to help drive change. Now, if you know me, you know my personal motto is do good. And that's why I feel so aligned with Tracksmith on this opportunity. Girls on the Run, let's talk about them. They're a nonprofit organization with a mission to inspire girls to be joyful, confident, and healthy using a fun experience-based curriculum, which creatively 
integrates running. I feel so fortunate again to have this opportunity to give back to this organization in particular because fostering that sense of identity, confidence in young women, it's so, so important. So head on over to Tracksmith.com and make sure to use the code HURDLE at checkout to receive free shipping and support girls on the run. I don't go a week without wearing my Twilight Crop Tank and Speed Crew socks, two of my go-tos. I know that you will love them as well. Again, that is Tracksmith.com slash HURDLE. Use the code HURDLE at checkout to donate 5% of your purchase to Girls on the Run and get free shipping. I also want to give some love to my sponsor at Athletic Greens. I say this whenever I travel, but whenever I am getting my act together to get on the road, the first thing that I do is pull out my travel packs of AG. And that's because taking Athletic Greens every single morning makes me feel like my best self. It helps me feel good. Athletic Greens is an all-in-one daily supplement. It's got 75 whole food sourced ingredients as well as prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, and superfoods. Until I integrated this into my routine within the last three years, I had such a haphazard vitamin routine. Nevertheless, all the great stuff that you get in this all-in-one daily scoop, I cannot recommend it enough, and that's why you've gotta get in on the action. Of course, they have an awesome offer for you. Head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle and get a free year's supply of vitamin D as well as five free travel packs with your first purchase. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get your freebies, no code necessary. The next question I have is something in retrospect when I think about my therapy experience. My therapist told me that she used the lay on the couch method. And the first time I went in to speak with her and get to know her in that first session, we did not execute that. On the next time I showed up again, let me just like make this all about me. She said that to me and I, I mean, I did it and I proceeded to do it for the next, you know, year or change that we work together. But in retrospect, like, I don't know if that's something that's my style. So if that's, if something like that, like that example, if that happens and that's not your style, is that something that could be a negotiable with you and your therapist? Or is that something that you're like, oh, shoot, I guess I need to find a new therapist. As a therapist, I wish that I had a crystal ball and that I could be a mind reader. Like I am not. And I, it would make my job so much easier if I could read the mind of the person sitting across from me. I only know how they're feeling if they tell me how they're feeling. I can try to ask all the right questions, but I can't force somebody to tell me what is going on in their mind. And we, of course, want to know if you're feeling uncomfortable or if it doesn't feel like the right fit. And I think, of course, that's a negotiable. Everything is negotiable. It's a relationship like any other relationship. Now, might there be some things that are non-starters for both parties? Sure, that's a possibility. But you don't know what is and isn't unless you bring it up. So in the example that you gave, uh, my dream, if I was your therapist, would be for you to say, hey, Amanda, I don't really feel comfortable lying down on the couch. I would rather sit up like we did that first session. That feels more natural to me and less intimidating. And I think I'll be able to engage better in this process if we do it that way. And then I would say, hmm, okay, tell me more about that. What 
makes you feel uncomfortable about lying down. And that is right material for exploration. And we, through exploring that together, could probably deepen our relationship, which would in turn lead to deeper work. I already feel like I'm sitting here and I'm in therapy because it's like, well, why don't you, why do you want to look at me when you talk to me? Like what, when, when was the last time that you were not looking at someone and having a really important conversation, (laughs) you know, but I mean, this is all relative to, to the conversation and the nature of the topic and finding that quote unquote Goldilocks fit to, uh, your perfect experience, so to speak. So something we haven't covered yet that, uh, could be really helpful. So we're talking a lot about in-person therapy, but as many of us have uh, dabbled in over the last year, our options now go so much further beyond that. So let's dive into some of the things that someone should know if they're seeking out virtual therapy, whether that be uh, via a Zoom or a video conversation, a phone conversation, or now rising in popularity, the text-based options as well. Right. And again, the, the beauty and the curse of technology is having all of these these options and, and recognizing that maybe not all of them are the best options. They might feel like the easier options or the more convenient options or the safer options, but sometimes what's more convenient and what feels safer isn't actually going to lead you to be doing the deeper work. So we have to look at that. You know, we just went through clearly a unprecedented time where we had no choice in many Uh, instances, but to engage in therapy on a virtual platform. And it was hard. It was an adjustment uh, for for many people. I think it was probably quite honestly, the biggest adjustment for the therapists, because we're used to being able to base our assessments and our interventions and everything we do, not just on what people are saying from here up and not just the way that their face is appearing on a screen, but there's body language, there's micro communications, there's so many things that you can't pick up online. That said, in person, when people are wearing masks, there's also a lot that was hard for us to pick up on. So we've had to, I think, as therapists, challenge ourselves in a good way, because we should always be challenging ourselves and trying to grow. But for some people, they are still not comfortable coming and doing in-person therapy. Maybe they're immunocompromised, maybe they can't get vaccinated or uncomfortable for medical or religious reasons, and therapy needs to take place in a virtual world. The same principles of looking for a therapist still apply. You still want to be looking at making sure that they're licensed, making sure that they have the qualifications or the training that is congruent with what you're looking for in a therapist. And there's still that first session, and there's still that assessment period where they're not just assessing you and what your needs are, you're assessing the therapist and making sure that the therapist is somebody who you think you can actually do good work with. And we do that the same way in a virtual platform as we do in person. The texting and the Snapchat, you're seeing a lot about therapy on Snapchat and and vis-a-vis texting. I wouldn't classify that as therapy. I think that it can provide an entree and a bridge into therapy, but texting or watching a Snapchat video of a therapist is more psychoeducation. It's not diagnostic. It's not assessment. It's not uh, psychotherapy. And I think we just need to be careful of, of, of what we're using those sort of outlets for and, uh, 
the benefits and where the benefits sort of cap off. I think for me, I mean, I recently did a trial of Talkspace and I could see where some of the benefits could be for sure. I do think that I learned so much about myself in my first go about with therapy, which was in person and and understanding the real kinds of conversations and work that gets done in that setting it just didn't compare at all the two different experiences. That's not to say that someone else could use Talkspace and find it to be the best thing for them, but to each their own. And just like you need to do your research and perhaps try out different therapists in real life, you can also have to do that when it comes to the platform that you choose to seek out your assistance with. Absolutely. And the thing is, for some people, the thought of engaging in a conventional therapeutic relationship, it's its too much. It's, it's not something that they're ready for, especially our younger population, I've noticed, like teenagers and some young adults. And Snapchat or Talkspace or texting, whatever it is, it is a means to an end. They start there start to get more comfortable with the idea of talking to somebody or listening to somebody. And then they think to themselves, wow, if I can do this, maybe I, maybe I can do therapy in, you know, a face-to-face setting or in, in a different environment than this. And in that way, it's wonderful because you always want to start where the client is. You can't push the client faster than they're able to go. And if that's where they're at, that's where they're, that's where they're at. And that's, that's okay. Yeah. And I mean, not to also discredit that, uh, I'm just talking about the conventional side of talk space, which would be text, uh, opportunities and text communication. I know the app does offer more one-on-one and phone consultations and whatnot, but I'm just talking about that app in the text only sense. So for someone now they've tried this, they ask the ever lovely question, which is, how long should I be in therapy? Like, and you said this so well before, you don't need to be in crisis to be in therapy. But for someone that is newer to therapy, they've been going for a little while, is there a way to know maybe, okay, you've done this, you could be good for now. Should you move on? Should you just keep going? Like, what's the, is there a right or a wrong way? No, and I wish that there was a clear answer to that. And, And there's not. And I think that's frustrating to people because when you go to the doctor and you broke your leg, They put an x-ray up on the screen. They show you the break and they say, you need to wear the cast for eight weeks and then you will be better and you no longer need the cast. That is not the way that therapy works. Uh, And there's no, you know, magical number prescription for some types of therapies, like some of the behavioral therapies like DBT, CBT, there are certain curriculums and there's, you know, modules that last a certain number of weeks. But even in those cases, you can continue and repeat modules. Listen, I think that generally speaking, people who are going to therapy because they are in pain, they're in emotional pain, they are in some type of crisis, uh, you certainly don't want to end the process before you're not only feeling better, but having a period of sustained feeling better. Just because you feel better for two days, that doesn't mean that you can say, okay, I'm done. No more therapy. You really want to see it. Um you want to see those gains maintained over a period of, of time because life will always throw curveballs and it's nice to have that support when the curveballs are being thrown at you. That said, 
I am a therapist. Clearly, I love therapy. Clearly, I think therapy works. That's why I do this. I think that people can benefit from and be engaged in therapy indefinitely. There's nothing wrong with having somebody to talk to who is objective, who is not one of your best friends, who is not your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, who you can just in an uncensored way, be yourself and learn about yourself because life is a journey of self-reflection and self-awareness. And the better that we understand ourselves and the better of a relationship that we have with ourselves, the more able we are going to be to engage in healthy relationships and healthy activities and fulfilling activities in the outside world. I don't think there needs to be an end date to it. I think you do it if, if you're getting something out of it and you're working in, and you know, you can play around with different things. Like maybe you do talk therapy with a therapist for a couple of years and you feel like you've sort of reached um, the max benefit that you can with that person. And then you want to try maybe engaging in a group, like a group therapeutic process, because that's a whole different experience. But this, this idea that, you know, therapy has a start point and an end point is to me kind of silly because you're always looking to personally grow and be more self-aware. And I like what you said about as long as you really feel like you're getting something out of it. I mean, I think that you may not realize always what you're getting out of it. However, I felt personally that I got to a point with the last therapist that I worked with that I was just showing up every week and we weren't getting anywhere. There wasn't much new. I mean, it was over COVID. We were kind of just living this Groundhog's Day lifestyle. Uh, and I chose after trying to pursue that further from pre-COVID through COVID for a few months, I was like, you know what? At this point, I'm going to hold off until I feel like it's the right time to go back to therapy. Now, when I return to therapy, something that I'm really excited to do is seek out a behavioral therapist, someone that is going to challenge me a little bit more, that's going to perhaps flex different muscles, so to speak, mental muscles that maybe I wasn't trying to flex the first time. And in this process, I'll have the opportunity just to learn more, to learn more about myself, to learn what works, and then be able to say, okay, I've tried it. Either I want to stick with this or maybe it's time to go back to the other thing. But the the best thing that I can say, and I'm sure that you would you would co-sign this as well, is getting over that initial hurdle of just putting yourself in the room, putting yourself out there, asking questions, getting a referral, making yourself a priority, which is something that so many of us struggle with and understanding that just like we said at the top of this episode, mental health is just as important to learn about, to dive into, to take care of as it is that annual doctor's visit. Absolutely. And also, mental health and physical health are connected. So when we take care of ourselves mentally, we are going to feel better physically too. And I think that not enough people stress that. And our medical doctors don't necessarily stress that as much. One quick thing too that I have to say is that there are going to be times in the therapeutic process where things feel icky or it feels like you're maybe not progressing in the way that you want to or that you should. That is also a natural part of the process and important to talk about with your therapist. 
sometimes it's because the process has reached its natural end with that specific person and it's time to move on to something different. Sometimes it's because of something that's going on in the dynamic that needs to be worked through and it's an opportunity to learn and to grow. Maybe it's you're repeating a pattern that happens in all your relationships. Once you get this close to a person, it's time to shut down and back off. And that's what you're doing with your therapist. But working through that with your therapist will be a corrective emotional experience for you. And then maybe you won't do it in your outside relationships anymore. So just because therapy gets hard or doesn't feel like it's working doesn't always mean that it's time to end the process. So these are just the tricky things that you work through with the therapist. Just like any relationship, it's gonna take work. Now, is there anything else that you think we're leaving out when it comes to diving into what to look for when you are seeking mental health treatment? I think it's just really important to remember that you as somebody who is engaging in this courageous and brave journey, because it is a courageous and brave journey to to look itself in that type of reflective way, can and should take the time to really have multiple consultations, meet with a couple different therapists, get a sense of what it's like to be in the room with different people, different personalities, because that will help you to figure out who is the right fit for you. Now, you don't need to meet with 20 people because that might just be avoidance and your way of avoiding actually starting the process but meet with three or four different people and have a list of questions that you want to ask them because it is important that you pick the person and you're starting a relationship with somebody who feels like the right fit. Just like with friendships, just like with romantic interests, you don't just dive in. You actually ask questions and get to know them before you start the process. And I know earlier we did a double tap on looking into your insurance to see if uh, uh, someone is in network. But if someone is going at this out of pocket, and I'm talking about like a traditional consultation, I know this pricing can vary greatly depending on your geographic location and what you're looking for. But is there anything of any sort that we can give someone for a benchmark of what this range could be? It's such a tremendous range, especially in a place like New York City, especially in the Northeast. The good news is, is that there's a lot of therapists in in New York City, and there's a lot of different uh, venues, like, uh, for instance, postmasters training institutes. They have students who do their postmasters training. They're already licensed. They are already able to do therapy, but they're getting additional training. You can often see one of them for free, and you're basically seeing three therapists for the price of one because, or for the zero price, because the student is being supervised so heavily by some of the best in the field. And that can be a really cost-effective way to find treatment. But the range is, the range is large. You can always ask about people's sliding scale fees. Oftentimes therapists will have sliding scales based on, uh, based on need. Don't assume that the most expensive therapist is the best therapist. And, and also don't assume that the person who has 30 years of experience is better than the person with five years of experience. 
because that's not necessarily the case. It's important to meet different different people. It's important to meet different people. So many helpful takeaways in this episode. I wish that I had this episode before I started looking for therapy. Talk to us again. How do we keep up with you? How do we follow along with you and the dorm? Give us all the details. Absolutely. Well, we are on social media, of course, Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, So please follow us there. We often are promoting and talking about a lot of different mental health resources for various populations. And anybody can, of course, always uh, reach out or call us on our website. You can find the 800 number. Even if somebody doesn't necessarily need treatment at the dorm, which is a more intensive treatment facility, we are always trying to get people connected to the right places. So just like we talked about, even if you're not necessarily going to use the therapist that you're reaching out to, if it's a therapist that was recommended to you by somebody, they can often point you in the right direction. So if anybody ever has any questions about where to go, who to reach out to, they can always call us and we can point them in the right direction. Dr. Falk, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your input and your insight. And I know it's going to help a lot of people. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. 